following is brought to you by Canyon Ridge Church in Tacoma. For additional podcasts or information on service times and upcoming events, please visit us online at www.explorecrc.com. My name is Trevor. I'm part of the church staff here. It's my privilege to share with you this morning. And go ahead and open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6 today as we're continuing on in our follow series in the middle of the Sermon of the Mount. So Jesus is giving us this life-altering, life-changing teaching, this miraculous, amazing teaching that we could read about through Matthew 5, 6, and 7. That's where we find the Sermon on the Mount. And we've, you know, been working our way through this at a leisurely pace. And we're leisurely intentionally because we're trying to grasp and take hold of and put into application everything that Jesus is teaching us here. And he's throwing down a lot of truth at us, right? And so in this, in this section that we've been talking about here in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus has been challenging us to do our good works, giving us three examples of some spiritual disciplines, prayer, giving, and fasting, to do those things, not to be seen by others, but to do that righteousness hidden, to do that hidden so that our Father, our Heavenly Father, who sees in secret can see us doing those things in secret. And so it's been this great challenge on the authenticity of our relationship with Christ. A great challenge as to our authenticity in our spiritual reality. And then he moves on here that we're going to look at today to this, to this another incredible challenge for us. I mean, like this is a really hard subject that we're going to talk about and look at today. So like buckle up your seatbelt and hold on because we're going to dive into God's word here in a second. And if it's true, and it is true, we know it's truth because it's the unfallible word of God, that it should dramatically challenge and change the course and the direction of our entire lives. So Jesus is going to address this temptation that, that we all face. And he's going to try to address this challenge that distracts us from, from living for the here and the now, living for the flesh, living for the things of this world. He's going to challenge us to not live that direction, but to live for things that are eternal, things that are lasting, things that matter to God's heart. And so we're going to be looking at that. And I feel like, you know, this is probably one of the biggest challenges in our affluent society, in our culture, is to be distracted with the shiny things in front of us away from the things that God wants to do in us. So let's go ahead and dive head into this passage. I'm jacked up. I hope you are too. Here we go. <laughs> Matthew 6, 19 through 24. We'll read it and then walk back through it. Jesus says, do not lay up treasure. Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So I intentionally kind of broke it up into three segments there 
because Jesus is using these three different angles to get to the, the bottom line of the truth. He wants to show us the fullness of truth. I kind of compare it to the NFL, like in state of that replay, right? So you can tell, is both of his feet in bounds? Does he have possession all the way through the catch? Does the ball cross the goal line? And it's hard to tell with one angle sometimes, and so the guy gets in the little tent thing, and they look at multiple different angles to see what the actual truth is. That's kind of what Jesus is doing here. He's going to give us three different angles, three different perspectives to show us this ultimate truth that he's trying to teach us. So it's, it's all around this, this same theme and the same truth. So th- let's look at the first angle, and we'll work through these together this morning. First angle, as we, we look at this passage, it shows us Jesus' command. Jesus is giving us a command here. This is a, a directive. We need to notice that if we're followers of Christ, if we claim to be followers of Jesus, this isn't a suggestion or an option to us. This is Jesus speaking to the crowd, speaking to the people there in the Sermon of the Mount, speaking to us today through the inspiration of Scripture, giving us the command to do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. A lot of what what Jesus teaches us through scripture is sometimes difficult to understand or it takes some while, it takes some some context to understand what he's saying. This isn't one of those things. (laughs) There's no mistake. Do not do this. (laughs) Do not lay up treasures on earth. And he gives us a couple reasons why. The first few reasons that he gives us is that moth and rust will destroy. So he's talking about moths, I'm sure similar to the moths that we know of in present day, but in Jesus' time, they had a a specific moth that would land on clothing or woven fabric, blankets, and lay these eggs. I know it's going to get kind of National Geographic in here. Lay these eggs, and then when the eggs hatch, the larva would actually eat through the woven cloth. So it could be cold out and they're grabbing their blanket and they open it up and a moth larva just chewed a big hole in the middle of it. Now, this analogy doesn't work as well for us today because our our house, our homes are pretty secure. Like we have weather stripping, right? We uh, don't leave our doors and windows open to get the airflow as much. We have washers and dryers, so we don't leave our clothing outside to to dry unless you live in Eatonville. Shout out Eatonville. And, and when, they're <laughs> when, they're laying, when they're leaving their blankets outside, what could happen is a moth could land on it, lay its eggs, and then they fold it up, bring it inside, and now there's a hole in it, right? So we don't really understand that the same. We also don't understand it for the sense that, I mean, I don't know about your house, but we have like a blanket closet. Like, we have so many blankets. I have so many jackets. But to them, woven fabric, this type of material was a treasured thing to them. So they completely would have understood what Jesus is saying here. Now we can understand this concept of rust destroying. Um, When I was in sixth grade, my sixth grade is about the time, right, when your dad lets you start using the tools, not the power tools, but, you know, the regular tools. And so I was at my friend Skylar's house, and we wanted to build this this fort or some tree house or something, and his dad let us use like this new handsaw, right? And so we were sawing away, doing whatever in the, the backwoods, 
And as 11 and 12 year olds do, they get distracted and we're like, oh, we're bored with this. I'm gonna go do something else. Well, fast forward two weeks later of downpour and the saw was completely rusted through and I don't believe Skyler was allowed to use his parents' tools from that point forward for quite a long time. Right, we, we understand that rust destroys. Uh, metal farming tools or metal building tools could have been the entire source of livelihood of some people in Jesus' time. So a little bit of water could completely take that away, take away their wealth, take away their source of income in the future. And so Jesus is just pulling these two illustrations, two practical applications of the people of his day with this moth and rust but isn't it just symbolic of the way things work in the natural world around us? Right, like over time, things don't get better, they get worse. Things don't get newer, they get older. Food goes bad, and it's gross when it does. Cars rust and fall apart, things don't last. Things become obsolete. The iPhone battery, mysteriously just dies as soon as the new iPhone comes out. <laughs> There's this natural, steady decline in the natural world of even quality things. So Jesus is, is reflecting on that, that concept that this happens, that things will fall apart, things will fade away, but then shares another possibility that could happen with our stuff. Some dude could just take it. Some guy could just take it from you. I don't, I don't know of anything that makes me angrier, faster than someone taking my stuff. I don't know if you could relate with me with that. I remember when I was going to Northwest University. It's a Bible school, right? A Bible school, going to Northwest University. And I had this really sweet jacket that I bought from this vintage store on Broadway Ave in Seattle. And when you're in college, you don't have a lot of money, right? So your possessions are like... They mean more to you. And so to spend $60 on a jacket, that's, well, in Goodwill money, that's like thousands of dollars, <laughs> first of all. But to a, a guy that didn't have much money, I mean, it was a really nice jacket. So I got this vintage Puma blue with yellow racing stripes down the side jacket. And I wear it all the time because it's my favorite jacket. And I was playing intramural basketball one night. And so I took it off to play basketball and set it down on the, the bleachers right there. Front row bleachers, sat it down right there, went and played basketball after the game. Someone took my jacket. And I mean, these, these pastoral students, all of a sudden like, no longer was I filled with the Holy Spirit, I was filled with anger and rage as I ran down to the dorm like trying to f find out who took, took my jacket. Even, even people steal stuff from the church. People have broken into our church and taken thousands of dollars in media equipment. My, my favorite guitar that I ever had, a Taylor 414 CEV. Someone walked in the middle of the day when the doors were unlocked because we were cleaning and doing some stuff, walked on stage, grabbed it, and walked out with the guitar. Ugh! Luckily, luckily now, Jim Maton and our Canyon Ridge Church Security Task Force takes, you know, <laughs> takes care of most of that. And I don't know if you guys know, but Jim's probably in the parking lot right now watching your cars. And I'm not saying that as a joke. I'm actually thankful for that. So thank you, Jim. I'll know, I know you'll never listen to the podcast because you don't know how technology works. <laughs> that was a joke. 
<laughs> so how, how do you feel when, when someone takes your stuff, right? You feel vulnerable. You feel vulnerable when people take your stuff. In Jesus' day, their, their homes and their buildings were constructed of clay and stone, and someone could just, you know, break through that and take your stuff. So if we feel vulnerable when our stuff is taken, that means our stuff is vulnerable. If we have something that we really like and then someone can just take it from us. And so Jesus is laying all this out and he's saying the stuff of this world, earthly possessions, material possessions are vulnerable. They break down over time. They get older. They fall apart. But then he comes back with a positive perspective here in verse 20. He says, but lay up for yourselves then treasures in heaven, because in heaven there are no moths, there is no rust, and there are no thieves. And so we see this, this contrast that's going on here in Scripture, and really this whole segment of Scripture that we're looking at today is in contrast. It's one of Jesus' teaching techniques that he uses. It's so important to him that he wants to repeat it to us. He gets our attention with the negative, and then he comes back with the positive. This is something that he's done all the way through the Sermon of the Mount, right? Uh, we talked last week about fasting. Jesus said, don't fast like the hypocrites, and then said how they fast. He said, but instead, fast like this. He comes back with the positive, fix your hair, take a shower, do those things. And he continues that contrast here, negative to positive. And so why, why does Jesus do that? I mean, what? What does that ultimately do to us? It, it puts us in this tension, right? Because now we have to define ourselves in one of two ways. There's only, we can't stand on top of the fence. We have to go one of two directions. I'm either going to live for this or I'm going to live for this. We have to decide between the two. And so there's probably about 10 different points of contrast 10 different tension points that Jesus highlights just in the segment of scripture, and I'm not going to go through all 10, but I want to highlight some of them and then talk about the questions that it forces us to answer that Jesus is doing here in the text, where he talk about that he, he begins with this whole treasures on earth versus treasures in heaven, so now we know that we're either living for now or living for the future, so the question then that you and I have to answer is, am I going to live for immediate pleasure, for things that I could touch, hold, feel, taste, or am I going to live for things for the future that are yet to come? Jesus talks about things that could be destroyed by rust that fades away versus the eternal and the everlasting. So there's this contrast of temporary versus eternal, which challenges us to answer, are you going to live for something that is brief and temporary, or are you going to live and focus on something that is everlastingly eternal? Not only could it be destroyed through rust and moth, but we also pointed out that it could be stolen. So there's a contrast between stuff that's vulnerable versus invulnerable. Am I more in love with something people can take from my garage or from the bleachers at Northwest, or something that I can invest in that is invulnerable, that is protected and preserved. So he puts these, these points of tension and contrast 
before us because it helps us define our reality, helps us define where we're currently at. And all this culminates and leads us to what I think is the key verse of the passage in verse 21. Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Jesus tells us that what we treasure is the thing that will drive us. And if we don't know what we treasure, he says, follow your heart and you'll find it. Where is your money going? Where is your time going? What happens when you get a little bit of extra of either money or time? What is your initial thought of where you want to invest that time and that money? Jesus so simply defines the truth of the human heart, the condition of the human heart, and says, your heart will follow what you treasure. And Jesus is showing us that our hearts are hearts that, that God wants. Our hearts that God covets and desires can be so easily divided and turned from things that are eternal to things that are temporary. And so he commands us. He commands us to lay up treasures in heaven instead. And I want to spend next week, we're about halfway through. This is halftime. I want to spend next week talking about that because Jesus never says, and this is how you lay up treasures in heaven here in the text. But the Bible says a lot about it. And so we're going to focus on that next week. I decided to not preach a sermon about how to store up treasures on earth because I figure we already know how to, how to do that one. We don't know what we have, and so we buy another one, and then we can't find it, and so we buy it, and we actually have seven in our garage, right? That's the story of my life. So we're not going to teach storing up treasures on earth, but we'll talk about storing up treasures in heaven next week. The second angle that has, this has to do with our perspective. God is showing us our perspective. He's showing us the perspective that he desires from us, and we see it in verse 22, and it's kind of feels like an odd change-up. Uh, just reading it from top to bottom, it feels like God's kind of swaying to another direction. So we'll read through it and kind of talk about what that means. Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great the darkness what in the world is happening? What is Jesus trying to say there? I think, I think we could be confident in knowing that Jesus isn't going another direction and is talking about our physical eyesight here. If we continue on and we'll see in verse 24, Jesus says we can't serve God and money. So there's this constant theme here about treasures and money that Jesus is, is talking about. So so what is this? What does a, a good eye and a bad eye have to do with our treasures, with God, and with money? That's, that's the question that we have to think through. And reading through a lot of different commentaries and by a different lot of commentators, I really think the, the key of this is found further in Matthew in chapter 20. So you can flip there or I'll just describe the story to you. We're going to look at Matthew 20 verses 15 really. So Jesus is telling this, this parable about a master who owned this vineyard, and he's hiring people to work the vineyard for him. And so this first group of, of servants or workers agreed to work from 6 a.m. 
to 6 p.m. So they agreed to work for one hour for a denarius. But the master found that he, he needed more workers in the field. And so he hired more at 9 a.m. And then he hired more at noon. And then he hired even more workers at 5 p.m. And so when the, when the day was done at 6 p.m. and he went to pay everyone, he paid the agreed upon amounts to the people that worked for 12 hours. He paid them a denarius. But he was incredibly generous to the people that only worked one hour and also paid them a denarius. And so those who worked you know, 12 times the amount, they complained to the master. Verse 11 says that they grumbled at the master of the house. They were angry, right? As probably a lot of us would be, that the people that worked one twelfth of their work got paid exactly the same amount. And then the master says this in Matthew 20, verse 15. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me, or do you begrudge my generosity? If you look there in your Bible or on your Bible app, there's probably a little footnote there to the second question, that second little phrase, or do you begrudge my generosity? And the reason there's a footnote there is because that little phrase is actually a very loose paraphrase. It's not a translation. And so if you follow the footnote down to the bottom of your Bible or you click on it on your, your Bible app, it'll actually tell us what the correct translation of that phrase should be. And so the master said, am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or is your eye bad because I am good? That's the translation. Isn't that interesting? So this, this bad eye here in this context, in Matthew chapter 20, verse 15, refers to the eye of a person that cannot see the beauty of grace. An eye that's, that's blinded to the brightness of generosity, that can't see the treasure of blessing other people. It's a worldly eye. It's an eye that's focused on the physical, on the here and the now. It's an eye that's blinded to Christ-like value. It desires money and material treasures more than this display of free, gracious, godlike generosity. So if we take that concept of the bad eye and apply it back to Matthew chapter 6, where we read from. This is now my paraphrase and not a translation. We would read it this way. Make sure that your eye is good, not bad, meaning make sure that you see heavenly treasure as infinitely more precious than earthly material treasure. When your eye sees things that way, you're full of light. And if you don't see things that way, even the light that you think you see, so like the flashy material possessions, bright and shiny objects, the light that you think you see is all darkness. You got it flipped around. You're reversed. You are sleepwalking through this life in darkness. Jesus is saying, you think you're seeing light, but you're absorbed with the darkness of this world because only God is light. Jesus is saying we need to wake up to this and pay attention. We need to open up our eyes to the reality of our perspective that we can either gather, accumulate, compare, buy newer, bigger, better, new, shinier, all this stuff, and we can lose perspective on what matters, which is heaven and the things of the eternal because we're so clouded by the darkness of this world. We aren't seeing things through God's perspective, which leads us then to our, our third angle, 
as we bring this into full context. The third angle, Jesus reveals the reality. Last verse, 24. No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So Jesus reveals the impossibility of playing this both ways. And just so we're clear, Jesus isn't saying it's not spiritual to do this or it's not a good idea to serve two masters. He says you can't do it. It's impossible. You cannot do it. Jesus isn't talking about two employers like, oh, well, this one time I had two jobs and it was hard and I didn't sleep very much. And so, but I stuck to my schedule and I was able to work two jobs. He's not saying about serving two employers. He's talking about two masters here. He's saying that, that one of these things will own you completely. One of these things will be the reigning influence in your life, and it will make to seek the other master come underneath it. I think it's, it's interesting, too, to point out the words choice that, that Jesus uses for, for money here. The original word is mammon, and there's something unique about uh, what's going on with that word that I point I want to point out because I believe it brings a little bit more context. Mammon comes from this this root word which means entrust. And early on, so it kind of had two definitions over time. Early on, the definition of mammon was that which God has entrusted to you to steward. But then over time, it progressed to this meaning of that in which a person trusts in to be their God. It's kind of interesting. And so by Jesus using this word choice, trusting in God or money, serving God or money, he's asking us this question of, is, is money what God has entrusted in you to steward for his purposes, for his plans and glory, or is it what you trust in to be your God, mammon? Because we, we know, I mean, we, we can't worship both both God and money. Jesus says you will love one and hate the other. Either, either God is your God or money is your God. The reality is when we treasure money, when we treasure earthly things and, and we worship them in some capacity and we seek those things to save us, give us life, give us hope, give us joy, give us a promised future, give us comfort, and really it's, it's darkness and it leads us to becoming a slave to that master in our lives. And you might think, well, it's, it's a little much to say, I trust in my money to be my God. I mean, maybe I have a twinge of greediness, maybe like a baby aspirin amount of greediness, but I'm not, I'm not seeking it as my God and the thing that I worship. But don't we often trust in material possessions to provide for us things that only God can do? We seek significance and worth in possessions and status and image. We seek security and safety in our savings accounts and in our investments and in our stocks. We seek comfort and joy in vacation and food and events, experiences. And all these things are great things. That things that God has given us to steward and to enjoy, but when we trust in them to be the source of our joy, of our hope, of our security over the freedom of Christ, 
then it leaves us with just the opposite feeling. Leaves us insecure, leaves us unsatisfied, leaves us always wanting more, leaves us concerned and in anxiety when more stuff will come. When anything, when anything other than God becomes our number one or our priority or our master, it puts us in this clouded perspective that leads us to trust in stuff to satisfy us, leads us to worry, which Jesus will address in the next segment of scripture in Matthew chapter 6. And so all this kind of culminates, and we're not going to talk about it this morning, but in a few weeks we will. It all culminates in Matthew 6, 33, when Jesus says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. It's kind of like what we, we, we sang about this morning, trusting it all, trusting it all in God. When we live in the right perspective, my God will supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. And so as we, we think about this, this section of scripture, how do, we, how do we respond? What's the application that we can take away? I think that the first thing is identify, and you've probably been working through it in your mind, right? You've been arguing with me this entire morning already. I feel it. Uh, <laughs> identify it as what do you treasure, right? On, honestly, deeply, what is it that you are after? What is it that you treasure, where does all of your time go? Where does your money go? I'm obviously not saying, like, don't spend money on food or nice things. That's, that's good. But are you investing in the eternal as well? I think a, a good application, maybe something that you could do this week, is take a look at your budget. Take a look where your money is going. How much of it is going to kingdom-minded things that God has called us to? Take a look at your schedule. Um, take a look at how much you're serving. Take a look at, I found this really cool thing that you could do. Sorry, Android users. But if you go on your iPhone and you go into the settings, I'm showing you like you could see, go to the battery. Then you could go down to the bottom and you could look at battery usage in the last seven days. And I could look at how much time I spent on Twitter, how much time I spent on Facebook, how much time I spent on Instagram, and how much time I spent on my Bible app. And you didn't even know that existed, but we could see how much are we investing in our relationship with God versus whatever else that we're after in this life. Temporary things versus eternal things. What does your life actually say about you? Because Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so it doesn't matter what we say we value, right? It matters how we're actually living this out. Because if our, our thoughts doesn't influence our action, then obviously there's a disconnect there that we need to address. There's a story about a man named William Borden who was a, a rich young man. He graduated uh, early from Yale in the 1900s, and he had more wealth, more money, more future promises and possibilities than any of us could even imagine. This is a, a real guy. But, but after becoming a Christian, he kind of changed the course and the direction of, of his life. And his life from that point forward is lived with just a miraculous amount of generosity. And so much to the, to the anger of his father, he left his life. And he, he went to become a missionary to the Muslims in Egypt. 
But unfortunately, just after he was there for a little while and started learning the language, learning the, the culture, he, uh, he contracted meningitis and he died at the age of just 25. And so you can actually go to Cairo today and, and see his undescript gravestone. And on it is such a, a powerful phrase. On it's written, apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. And the question that, that Jesus is setting up here, talking about what we value, what our true treasure, what, are, what is our hope in, what is our freedom, what is the source of our joy in, Jesus leading us to answering this question, does my life make sense apart from the death and resurrection of Jesus? Or does it take Jesus rising from the dead to make sense of how I'm living my life, stewarding everything that he's entrusted to me for his glory? What would happen in, in this city if everyone here at Canyon Ridge lived like this, thinking about the eternal? What would happen in your family? What would happen in your workplace? What would happen in your neighborhood? What would happen if we all trusted in Jesus as our one true treasure? We were guided with, with an eye and a perspective for the eternal things, and we were led by serving the true master. What would it look like if we were those types of people? How would that impact the world around us? Now, if you're a guest this morning, and you're exploring faith with us today, and you haven't uh, trusted your life to Jesus, and you walked into this incredibly difficult conversation this morning, uh, I want you to know that, that my hope isn't that the result of this talk would be that you would be a little less greedy and a little bit more generous. My hope would be is that you treasure Jesus as we treasure him because he is worth treasuring. Jesus is, is inviting all of us to have a treasure that can never be threatened, that can never be ruined, that can never be stolen. He is the only master that became a servant so that we who are slaves to this world, slaves to sin, could be set free and experience true life. He set aside his riches and bought our freedom, not with wealth, not with gold, but with his life on a cross so that we could experience eternal treasure. So the question remains, will you treasure him?